this is Desert Island Torah Parsha Edition, where we stick to our theme of sharing three ideas of Torah in around 30 minutes, exclusively on the Parsha, so you will have three meaningful different Torah to share at your Shabbos table each week. As we are now at Parashat Vayishlach, we are joined again by Rebbe at Yeshiva Eretz Hatzvi, Rav Aviyat Tabori. We hope you enjoy this episode. Thank you so much, Rav Avia, for coming on today. It's great to have you on again. So this is Desert Island Torah Parashat edition for Parashat Vayishlach, using our structure of three ideas. So are you ready to go into your first idea? I am. So Parashat Vayishlach tells us the story of Yaakov and how he meets his brother Esav. This, this story is an incredible story. And... Uh, has many details in it of how Yaakov prepares himself for this historical meeting with his brother. And let's not forget that Yaakov does not know what to expect because last time he was running away, last time he was he had some in contact with his brother, he was a scared, he was scared of his brother. His brother was threatening to kill him, to murder him. Yaakov fled from him, and the last thing that we know about Yaakov and his brother is that his brother wants to kill him. And therefore, the, in the meeting now between Yaakov and Esav, if we didn't know what was about to happen, uh, we would be very, very scared and nervous. What is going to happen? What's How, this, how is this meeting going to, um, going to happen? Will Esav murder him? Will they embrace as brothers do and forgive each other? What exactly is going to happen? Now, we know that Yaakov prepares himself for this meeting. Chazal even points out that Yaakov meets, prepares himself in three different ways. Prayer, some kind of doron, which means we would call today a bribery, a present. He tries to bribe his brother by giving him presents. And the last resort is war. Yaakov prepares for war. But what I want to focus on is the Ramban in this week's parsha. The Ramban tells us in this week's parsha that the events that take place between Yaakov and Esav in this parsha are not just about Yaakov and Esav, but rather they are events that symbolize the future in, in the Jewish people's story and how are they going to meet and prepare meeting with the non-Jewish people that ha- that are threatening our existence. And we can learn from here how we should prepare ourselves. But more than that, it will actually tell us, it will hint to us, historical events that will take place. I'll read the Ramban. So the Ramban, Yesh v'zeod remez ledorot, ki kol asher ira le'avinu im Esav achiv, ye'ira lanu tamid im b'nei Esav. The Ramban says, whatever happened, between Yaakov and his brother, will happen in the future as well between the sons of Yaakov and the sons of Esau. The Ramban, this is a this Ramban, this is the other Ramban is not just a local idea, but rather part of the Ramban's view of many of the stories of Bereshit, using the phrase Maase Avot Siman Lebanim. The Ramban says the actions of our fathers are symbolic for this future um, historical events that will take place in Jewish history. And specifically here, he goes on later on and says like this. And this is where the idea really 
I would say, um, comes up in the story itself. Yaakov prepares for war. What does that mean, he prepares himself for war? How do we see it from the Pesukim, from the story, that he prepares for war? The answer is, the Ramban says, that he divided his people into different camps. And part of the war strategy was that if Esav attacks one, the other one will be able to perhaps fight back or escape. The Ramban understood that, that the idea of splitting the forces into two is part of war strategy. But then the Ramban says, this is symbolic that Ramban says this is a symbol for the future that Am Yisrael is going to be scattered amongst the world. And being scattered amongst the world, nations, is actually for our benefit. Because when the Goyim, when the non-Jewish nations who wish to harm us will attack us, by being scattered around the world, it will ensure the existence of the Jewish people. It will not destroy all of us. So it's a strategy of why in Jewish history we were scattered all over the world. But the Ramban says more than that. Later on, when Yaakov fights the angel and beats the angel of Esau, again the Ramban says, Says the Ramban, what happened in the battle between Yaakov and the angel of Esau? They were fighting till, 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 till it seems that Esau, the Tsar of Esau, the angel, was about to beat Yaakov. And the last minute, Yaakov was able to pull some kind of you know, physical move that in, in the battle, in the fight, that he was able to overcome Esau. But what happened to Yaakov? He himself got hurt. And Yaakov started limping because he was hurt. Says the Ramban, this is a hint to the future of the Jewish people. And, I, and I, when I read this, by the way, I actually think about the Holocaust. The Ramban says there will be times in Jewish in the Jewish history. He actually mentioned some generations that this happened that the Jewish people were persecuted in such a way that it seemed that we were almost about to be destroyed. And they did terrible things to us. Obviously, the Ramban lived in, in the 13th century, so he didn't know about the Holocaust. He describes things that happened in the Mishnah period. But he describes terrible, terrible events. And he said, HaKol Saval at the end, he says, when it seems that we are almost, almost about to be destroyed, the last minute we come out. We might come out limping. We might come out limping. The star of Esau, the minister of Esau, the angel of Esau, sometimes might really hurt us such in such a way that we will come out limping. But we will come out. Am Yisrael Chai. We will be able to go through all the terrible events in Jewish history, but we will win. We will come out. We might come out with a very heavy price, but we will win. And I think that these, this idea of the Ramban is, 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 is being said in generations where the Ramban himself was persecuted, 
Ramban himself had to run away from Spain. Ramban himself knew about the terrible stories that happened to Jews around the world. hundred years later, the pogroms of Spain will happen. And then later, 200 years later, the expulsion of Spain will happen. The Ramban was aware of all what was happening before him and perhaps even after his, after his lifetime. But the Ramban, like many, many Jews in Jewish history, were assured of the promise that Am Yisrael Chai, Yisrael being Yaakov, that with all what happens to us from the sons of Esav, we learn from Parashat Vayishlach that Yaakov, even when he's limp-walking, he still comes out of the fight victorious. And that is a symbol for the Jewish future. So that's one idea of the Parsha. Beautiful. And we're recording this um, post-October 7th. Um, and I think it's so relevant to the time we're living in now. Um, and yeah, it's got me thinking about that. So should we go the into Seder. your... This later. Should we go into your next idea? Let's go another idea. Yes? Let's okay. go. The next idea has to do with one of the most famous stories in Tanakh that happens to appear in this week's parasha. This week's parasha, Parashat Vayishlach, the daughter of Yaakov, Dina, is taken by Shechem and Hamor, the mayor's son of the city of Shechem, and she is raped. She's taken captive. Unfortunately, I don't have to really explain how this story is relevant to our days. It is almost it's almost too eerie um, not to think immediately about the events that took place this year on October 7th here in Israel where a very similar story happened. It was only Dina. Unfortunately, in this case, it was the, the, the multitude, the number of people was obviously much greater. But the idea when Eretz Yisrael attacked the sons of Yaakov, the daughters of Yaakov, raped and kidnapped. And the chutzpah of the family of Shechem is that they come and start negotiating with Yaakov and his family as if she's being held there again with, with her will. It's unbelievable. We don't even realize sometimes they're holding on to this woman after she's been raped and they talk negotiations as if, you know, nothing happened. But we all know the rest of the story, which is that sons of Yaakov convinced Yaakov to continue the negotiation, knowing well, very well, that they didn't have any intention of keeping the negotiations, but rather this was a way of them to convince the people of Shechem to have a Britain La which made the people of Shechem weak as they were circumcised. Using that, the sons of Yaakov, especially Shechem, uh, Shimon Velevi, went into the city and massacred, killed the entire city, took Dina out and saved Dina. At which point Yaakov was very upset at them. And, and Yaakov turns to them and says, Yaakov is upset at them. But it's important to know why is he upset at them. He just says, which means you have angered me. Hinting that what he what that he thought that they did something wrong per se. But he also explains 
that what they did was very dangerous because this might lead to them being attacked by other cities in Eretz Yisrael. And they responded, Their answer, Abba, do you think we'll allow these guys to turn our daughter into a prostitute? Now, this is a very famous story. What's not very clear at all from the story is who was right? Was Yaakov right? Or was Shimon Levi right? The commentaries, the commentators on this story argue amongst themselves whether or not Shimon Levi were correct in what they did or not. Ramban, Rambam. I don't want to go into the whole all of the farshim right now. But I, if we look at the shot, at the story itself, there are two very strong indications, actually, that Shemuvilevi were correct. One indication is, is that the Torah gives them the last word. I'm not saying that's a complete proof, but it is interesting that they, as if, have the last word to their father. And another indication is that it says explicitly that as an as a as a as a as a, a response, not response, but the consequences of what they did was that no one attacked them, and people were afraid of Yaakov's family. We would say today, as it says, Elohim Torah it says that as a result of what they did, there was a, a sense of fear and no one ran after the sons of Yaakov. Meaning that the action that they did created uh, a, a sense of wow, we don't start off from the sons of Yaakov. Again, perhaps an indication that what they did is correct. The Ramban and Rambam argue that if the sons of Yaakov were correct in what they did, why did the people of Shechem, all of them, deserve to die? The Ramban and Rambam, again, this is not my topic right now, they argue about this. Rambam really holds that they were chayav mitah, they, they should have been killed for other reasons. The question really is, and that's a good question that people nowadays refer to in discussions about how should one see bystanders in wartime what their status is in a war, um, many, many Mepharshim, post-game commentators, rabbis, go back to this story to, to, to try to figure out what exactly should our approach be towards bystanders, what we would call innocent bystanders in society that are in a situation where around them atrocities are happening. Again, quite similar to the events taking place now after October 7th, when we have people that are holding onto hostages, and then we have bystanders that are standing around them, how how does how does one really differentiate between an innocent bystander to a guilty bystander? How is what is one allowed to distinguish? Should one distinguish? These are I, I'm just mentioning that actually in halachic ruling, there is a lot of reference to this story. In modern post scheme, 
to use this story as a source to this question whether or not one one should take into account the bystanders are involved in the story or not, whether or not Shimon Vladi were correct or were wrong. What I want to focus on in this story is an idea which I think I gave some of my podcast last time about, which is about Yaakov and the journey that he goes through to preparations. When we first meet Yaakov, Yaakov is described as Ishtam Yosheva Ohalim, which basically means a simple Yeshiva Bachar who sits in the base Midrash. I don't think Yaakov would have been able to be drafted at that point because he was a probably was um, um, a very sensitive kind of maybe even weak yeshiva boy that was not in was not a what we would call a gever right he wasn't into fighting he wasn't interested so much his brother Esav well that was that's what Esav did but Yaakov is pushed to the real world he's thrown out of the Bet Midrash he enters the real world he meets Lavan and he slowly realizes that in this world you have to deal with people like Lavan, which prepares him for his meeting with Esau. When Yaakov cheats his brother Esau and he meets Yitzchak, he puts on the fur on his arms to dress up as Esau. And when Yaakov, Yitzchak says, Up until now, there were two examples of two different characters in the story of the sons of Yitzchak. There was extreme. There was a son who sat in Shiva, and there was a son who was out in the field killing people. Suddenly Yitzchak realizes that there's a third option. There's a guy like Yaakov who has the voice of Yaakov, the ethical voice, the moral voice, the sensitivity voice of Yaakov, and still is able to use the hands of Esau. That is a type of character that Yitzchak wants to see build the Jewish community. Why is that connected to here? I, I believe that Yaakov is upset at Shimon Belevi here because Yaakov is a person who recognizes that we have to use force sometimes. We have to use the Yadayim the, the of Esau as he did himself with the angel of Esau. He fought him. Notice, when does Yaakov become Yisrael? When he fights Esau. He becomes Am Yisrael when he realizes that he has to use force, but Yaakov still has the voice of Yaakov, a kol kol Yaakov. I think Yaakov's criticism against his sons is not and letting his sister being raped, realizing that those who kidnap Dina deserve to die. Those who are interfering with Dina being abducted deserve to die. It's like an Entebbe operation. We have to go in. We have to save her. If people are killed on the way, well, that's part of, of doing the war. They started. We have to finish. But the call of Yaakov means that we still have a sensitivity towards human life. And perhaps Yaakov is saying to his sons, did you really have to kill everyone? Those who guarded her, those who raped her, they should be killed. But did you really need 
to kill the entire city? That's what Esav does. Esav would go and kill everyone. But I'm not Esav, says Yaakov. I have the hands of Esav, but I still have the call, the voice of Yaakov. And if we want to build the Jewish community, the Jewish people, and we're going to use sometimes force, and we're going to have to fight. As we see throughout Jewish history, many times we have to face a terrible enemy. And when we face that enemy, we have to fight it. We have to destroy it. We have to fight 24-7. We have to send everything that we can to destroy, to kill all those who wish us harm. At the same time, we have to make sure that we have the call of Yaakov. And that is why, that is why I believe Yaakov skips Shimon Levi in the brachot and gives it to Yehuda, the leadership. Because he feels that we can't have leaders like Shimon Levi who don't have that sensitivity. Looking back in the past few weeks, since October 7th, Israel is in war with our enemies, one of the most um, justified wars in, in, in world history, but at the same time, a very brutal one against a very, very terrible enemy. And we have the moral obligation to destroy our enemy, to kill them, to ensure that they never rise again to hurt another Jewish soul. And I'm proud to say that we still sense the call of Yaakov. I do not believe that there is any nation in the world that would do anything close to what our army is doing when it comes to sensitivity to human life. I believe that any other army, if would be in our conditions, in our situations, in our circumstances, would be destroying and killing much more, many more, we are towards human life. And that is the call of Yaakov, which still remains today in Am Yisrael. So that's the second idea I want to tell you. Beautiful. Love the connection. So should we go into your third idea? Okay. I have one more last idea. Fine. In the beginning of the parasha of Vayishlach, after Yaakov prepares his meeting with Esau, the brothers actually meet. And it tells us how Yaakov runs before Esau, bows down to him, meets him, embraces him, kisses him, and they cry. Chazal argue whether or not Yaakov's bound down to Esau is justified. Some rebuke Yaakov and talk about it in a a negative way, that Yaakov should not have treated his brother this way with so much humility, bowing down. Again, going back to the idea that I spoke about in the beginning, that idea for the future of how we deal with a non-Jewish world that is endangering us, should Yaakov have disgraced as if himself by bowing down to ya- to his brother Esau, the Mepharshim, the commentators, debate about this. And I believe that some justify it, some 
um, do not justify it. And a lot of times, if you notice, they'll probably be connected to the experiences that those commentators lived through. And you can hear in their comment in, in their comments and their the way they see the story how they view the experiences between Jews and non-Jews and how one how different times of Jewish history we have to relate to each other. What I want to focus on is that it says in the pasuk vayishakeyu they kiss each other, which sounds great, wow, wonderful. What a beautiful ending of a story that we were so worried what was ha- what ha- what would happen. They kiss, they embrace. Oh, beautiful story. However, above the word Vaishakeu, the Masorah, the tradition of the Torah, is to have a few dots over the word Vaishakeu in the Sefer Torah and in all our Chumashim. There are dots above the word Vaishakeu. Now we have other examples in Chumash that there's a tradition to put dots over a word, and usually this indicates that it's unique, special, different. And Chazal tell us that Vaishakeu, the, the kissing of Yaakov and Esau, is not exactly a regular kiss. Rather, the Midrash tells us that Yaakov ran up to Esau, and Esau wished to kill his brother. The Midrash says that he tried to bite him, to bite his neck and kill him by biting him to death. And the Midrash says that a miracle occurred and Yaakov's neck became solid like marble. And Yah and Esav ended up kissing him because he couldn't kill him with his biting. That's what the Midrash says. Now, it's a very strange Midrash. And why is that? Because it almost makes Esav look so bad when there's no indication that he was such a bad guy. The story itself tells us that Esav embraces his brother, kisses him, hugs him. Wait, great. Why are Chazal, why are Chazal looking as if for a reason to talk ill about Esav? I think the answer is going back to an idea that I perhaps mentioned before. There's no doubt that when Chazal, when Chazal are teaching us what's behind this pasuk, they were not referring so much to Esav and Yaakov, but rather to the relationships between Jews and non-Jews in Jewish history. And perhaps they were telling us the following. Perhaps they were telling us there are times when Esav declares that he wants to kill Yaakov and in those cases, in those situations, it's very clear the intention of Esau. And as a result, the Yaakovs of that generation can be aware what the danger is. They can prepare themselves for it. They can get ready for it. They can maybe perhaps respond to it. But it's very clear what the Esau of this world want to do to Am Yisrael. However, there are times when the ace of this, of this world actually embrace us and kiss us. And maybe Chazal are telling us, be careful. Be aware. It's maybe a little bit, a little bit of a pessimistic way of looking at things. But unfortunately, there have been times in Jewish history where the embrace 
public for hiding agendas that sometimes damaged Am Israel in such ways that were even worse to some degree than the cases where Esav <clears throat> proclaimed his intentions. Hazal tell us that Lavan, for example, is worse than Paro. We say that in Haggadah. Lavan is worse than Paro because Lavan wanted to destroy all Am Yisrael, while Paro just wanted to kill the males. Where do we see that Lavan wanted to kill Am Yisrael? Where do we see that? Could it be that also with Lavan, if you remember, Lavan also embraced Yaakov. And the embrace of, of Lavan embracing Yaakov meant, Yaakov, my good friend, why do you want to start this whole thing called the Jewish people? Stay here, assimilate, marry into my family. If, if Yaakov would have married to Lavan's family, there would be no Jewish people. Sometimes in Jewish history, we have to be very, very careful when we are embraced by the world and accepted in the world, the Jewish communities in Jewish history have many times responded by assimilation and by being embraced and accepted, forgetting who we are and what we are. And the hidden agenda was perhaps to get rid of the Jewish people. Perhaps Chazal are telling us that there are two dangers in Jewish history for the Jewish people. There are two types of Esav. There are two times that Esav is threatening our existence. Sometimes it's the Esav that proclaims, declares exactly the tension. The Hitlers, the Hamans, the Khomeini, the Hezbollah, the Hamas of this world, who declare very clearly their intention. But sometimes, in times of maybe... of of, of, of prosperity even where we are being almost embraced by the world around us the results sometimes are that we forget who we are we assimilate and lose many Jews Dafka from the Chibukim the Nishikot from the embraces and the kisses sometimes Chazal are telling us we also are facing a danger to the existence of the Jewish people. And we should be aware of, obviously, from the ace of this world who want to destroy and kill us physically, but also we should be very aware that there are other dangers in this world, even at times when we are accepted, embraced, and 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 kind of loved, even, by, by the world. And that was my third idea. Wow. So important and relevant. And thank you so much for coming on today and sharing such important, amazing Torah with us. Simcha. I hope we meet again in better days where Am Yisrael has a bit more nechama and uh, and uh, hopefully um, um, after uh, after we hope to have a great victory in, our, in this war, we'll be able to meet mitoch simcha and nechama um, and, and looking forward to better days. Amen, literal. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Desert Island Torah. Feel free to share our podcast with family and friends so that we can reach out to Amisra. And if you enjoyed that episode, please feel free to download and subscribe. 
And if you want to discuss your own Desert Island Horror, get in touch at desertislandhorror at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening. Thank you.